The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Judice. Welcome in. It's again your chance for your day in court. Carlos Medina and Scott Rhino sitting in this week for Tug Howard. It takes two in order for us to balance out the legal power we have in this room between Ray Judice and Bruce Hagan as well. Gentlemen, it's good to have you in. Thanks. Thanks. Nice to be here. It's All great. Right. And uh, thank you guys for uh, filling in for Tug. It's a tough role, as you say, but we really appreciate you and looking forward to this. I want to start with, with the events of the week that have gone on. Uh, and let's start with what happened here in Midtown Atlanta, where there was a woman uh, who allegedly uh, basically went on a tirade. She ended up shooting three people. She killed two. She had targeted them uh, in response because she felt like this former company she worked for uh, had broken into her apartment is what she's alleging. She says they broke into her safe. And we'll find out how this all plays out. But the interesting part about this is that she went to the Atlanta Police Department and posted videos of herself doing this and talking about this company. And then the next day took the law into her own hands. I, I think what I would ask you guys is that those videos come across like she's she's paranoid, like she's got some some schizophrenia to her. Uh, is that ended up being kind of the basis of what if you were ever advising this person I'm saying, hey, we got to start with the fact that you are not acting in your right mind at all? Yeah, I think there's more to this, and we're going to learn more over the next few days. I believe that she had filed either an EEOC complaint or a sexual harassment unemployment-type case against the company. So apparently she worked or had some affiliation with this uh, real estate management company is what I understand. So these individuals that were shot were targeted. They were actually named in her complaint. So she had been thinking about this. So that gives you – see, the problem with – a, a uh, insanity defense or a, uh, a mental incapacity defense is that, well, wait a second. She had the mental capacity to file a lawsuit. She was thinking sanely at that time. All right. To, to, you know, come up with a claim to either hire a lawyer or do it on her own, get it filed, pursue the case. She had the mental capacity to go get a handgun and load it. Hey, I tried that first time two weeks ago, shot a nine millimeter gun. It's hard to load those bullets in the clip. <laughs> All that stuff you see on you TV, that guys, that's why they've got so many clips. You can't reload, man. But so, so that kind of goes cross grains, cross currents to what I'm sure her counsel will raise as a defense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, here's a, here's a person who apparently had put together some lengthy um, written document uh, detailing her grievances uh, about these folks that were targeted for shooting. And obviously this put all of Midtown Atlanta into a panic when it was happening um, and shuts everything down because you don't know what's going on. But this be- appears to have been a very targeted attack on specific individuals, and there's really no way for police to intervene and stop that. There's no gun control that's going to stop that if you're talking about the ability of a person who is otherwise sane and otherwise competent um, from taking a weapon and going out and and using it, right? So um, they're they're going to uncover a lot, and and certainly the more that is there that indicates a premeditated uh, plan to go ahead and do this, you know, such as I'm going to shoot them, 
Then I'm going to slowly walk through um, the county square area in my Where's Waldo shirt and hop in a cab and go to the airport and Where's leave Where's cameras everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Well, everywhere. And that's the part that I bring up that when we started to see the post from the Atlanta Police Department and they had it out on Twitter and they showed you, here's the, here's the video cap of the person we're looking for. And to understand they apprehended her at the airport – just to me, if I was looking to commit some sort of crime, the last place I'm going to is maybe the most secure area in all with of Atlanta. The weapon, right. With in the weapon. Right. So yeah. let me just say this. Even a poorly conceived plan is still a plan. Yes. And, and right. we yeah. all uh, spend time watching crime dramas and uh, court TV and everything else. And so, you know, in our minds, we're like, oh, I could have designed this crime in a much more efficient way and, <laughs> and had an escape plan and gotten away with it. But the people in the moment don't really think that way. And and look, this is why a lot of criminals get caught. You know, they, they, they have a plan. It's just not necessarily a great plan. And is there really a plan if it's the day before? I mean, she didn't really decide to do anything until yesterday, even though the day before she went to file a police report hoping they'd help. And then the next day she goes, is that still considered a plan or is there a timetable well, on the plan? Let's track back when, where and when she got the gun. Where and when she got the ammunition, yeah. where and when she had a plane ticket, she was going to the airport. So there's a lot to unravel, quote unquote, under the plan. But, Ryan, I want to ask you because you think you fancy yourself as a Second Amendment guy. Not yeah. faulting you. But let's talk about that handgun. Wh- what would concern you about wh- – what set of facts would concern you about where she got that gun? Well, I mean, it definitely would – I am always for – I want to know where the gun came from in the first place. So I let's, wish they let's put say it five in years that. ago she was diagnosed by, you know, MD, DA, all kinds of fancy doctors as schizophrenic, paranoid, mentally ill. She'd been in and out of institutions. How do you feel about her having that weapon? Oh, I feel she shouldn't have okay. that weapon. I think that's What would you do where, to stop that in the future? Well, I think there's a responsible way to do certain red flag laws. We do have the background check that should be – really investigated when we do these background checks. I have no problem with including it. Including medical histories? Including medical histories. Substance abuse? Uh, depends on the substance. But Domestic yes. violence abuse? Uh, again, I need to know what the were they convicted of domestic violence or is this a assumption I, that a woman said, hey, he hit me sure. and that's the case. I turn my cross-examine over to co-counsel <laughs> well, Mr. Just Hagen. As an example... Um, and you I'm know, just messing with you. Driving no, in the state of Georgia fine. is a I mean, privilege, and you you, right. you get a license to do so. And based on your medical condition, you know, even just something like a person has suffered a seizure, you can have your privilege suspended until you can show that whatever your seizure disorder is, the time frame where you're likely to have a second seizure has passed. And there could be something like that from a medical standpoint, too, where a doctor who diagnoses somebody as paranoid schizophrenic or a personality disorder or whatever um, presents a potential danger if that same person owns a gun could say that your privileges to own this weapon are temporarily suspended until this condition is resolved to the satisfaction of a medical doctor and if it's a allegation of a crime you know until this criminal matter is resolved you know these your privileges are suspended well but even when we bring up somebody who does commit one of these crimes if they ever get out again they're not allowed to have a weapon i mean we already have these laws on the books where we say you're as as a former felon as somebody who's been convicted of a crime sorry you can't carry a weapon there are rights that you have that can be suspended based on whether it's a medical issue or a legal issue The, the the where the rubber hits the road in this conversation is how do you take that weapon away from that person? Okay, so there, 
Okay, so the, the doctor says you can no longer have your handgun until we clear up your paranoid schizophrenia. All right, who enforces that? Who goes to get the gun? Who takes the gun? That's where that's where the rubber hits the road, right, Rhino? Right. Can they yeah, come well, in your house and can they but, come in your house and take the gun? No, but, I but mean, also, they can't but, come into my house and take the gun at that point. But again, if it's something that's been diagnosed five years ago, then that's a different situation than someone. Now, if she bought the gun five years ago and then yesterday all of a sudden she snaps and she's never been to a psychologist, her company has never sent her there. There's been no kind of information that she's ever going to do this. I don't know how you're ever going to stop that. Again, most of the guns that we find in most of these shootings, including I don't know this one yet because we don't know where the gun came from. And that's where my concern is. I want to know why these guns are illegal. When we look at counties like Clayton who say, we just took 15 guns off the street. None of them were legal. None of them were actually the gun that was manufactured. It's been remanufactured or redone by the gang in order to use this gun. They weren't going to carry that anyway. No psychologist was going to see that person. They can't afford to go to a psychologist anyway. Obviously, mental health when it comes to shootings is the biggest concern for me. It's never the gun that does it. My gun has never gone off and I carry it every single day. It's never hurt anyone, never done a thing. So there is a fine line. Now, have I gone to a psychologist? Absolutely. I like to talk about some I'm, of my I'm anxiety. Hopefully you have. And I have, yeah. I need to. But don't that's stop. Okay. Don't, don't, don't stop, stop now. now. <laughs> no, and I'm never going to stop because you know what? I mean, anxiety is something different. Look, I, I get anxious because I want to make sure when I come in here every day, I do the best show possible. It has a, um, it, it kind of has, it, it affects my sleep. It affects my sleep every night when I'm thinking over and over. But does that mean that I'm going to go out and commit a mass shooting? Should they take my gun away because I'm seeing a psychologist? There have to be certain rules put in place that protect both me who might go see just because I want to talk to sure. somebody rather than me actually having a full mental disorder. So going back to the driving example again, if somebody has a condition that would render them temporarily uh, ineligible to drive, right? Your license is suspended. Um, the authorities don't go to that person's house and take their car keys, right? And they don't right. pull your driver's license and cut it in half or anything like that. Um, what they do is they say, here's notice that your driving privileges are suspended until X, right? It might be a date certain. It might be a requirement that you do something to undo the suspension. You could do that as well with your um, ability to carry a handgun, but ultimately in the driving situation, if your license is suspended, the only way it's ever enforced is if you violate that and now you're caught a second time. You get in an accident or you get another DUI or something like this, and it's like, well, you're you're driving on a suspended license. The penalties are going to be more harsh right. because you ignored the the state's restriction on you. If you're what does do that, that do? Guns, what does that do with guns? You yeah, know, I mean, if yeah. somebody if somebody is willing, like, and we don't know the story with this lady right. as we're sitting no, here, she could, she could actually have nothing that happened to right, her. She right. could have just been, I'm angry and I'm doing this and yeah. I'm totally but legal. But in this same scenario, using your example, okay, let's say this woman's license was suspended and she was upset at the DMV for suspending her license, like she was upset with the people she works with, and she decides I'm going to take this car, even though I've never had a problem before. I'm going to drive my car through the DMV and take out the person who took away my license. What's the difference yeah. in that scenario right so um i'm going to go back to something you said earlier where you were saying well suppose that you know this lady only came up with this plan 24 hours ahead is that still a plan and and i think the distinction we look at is is that a crime of passion right, right? something that just happens in the heat of the moment where your emotions take over and and you're not acting voluntarily you know the the classic scenario of you walk in on your spouse in bed with somebody else and you just snap Right. As opposed to you learn your spouse is having an affair and you're going to say, I'm going to go ahead and 
do something about it, and 24 hours later you do something about it, is that still a crime of passion, right? So it's 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 similar here with the this incident. It certainly seems from what we know right now that this person had a plan, even if it were an, it was an ill-conceived one, going to the police the day before was yeah. in a, a part of that whole thing. But this does not strike as something that just happened in the heat of the moment. He's Bruce Hagan. That's Ray Judice as well. It is your day in court. When we get back... This court drama is just now beginning, and we'll ask the two guys about that. That's coming up next on Your Day in Court, right here on Extra 106.3. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back. It's Your Day in Court. Carlos Medina and Scott Rhino having to sub in for Tug Cowart this week. Tug has been... Oh, he's been taking care of some stuff. He's got his uh, his boy who is currently looking to find out which university he wants to play baseball at. And so they've been going everywhere. And so they're all over on the tour and they're going through that process. I went through it, you know, 20 years ago and it's it's fun, but it also creates a lot of anxiety because you don't know where you're going to. You're trying to figure out which coach is is not, you know, kind of giving you the BS. And so you're just trying to figure it out from there. And so we're uh, we're hoping that everything goes very well. Uh, on that standpoint. So Ray Judice and Bruce Hagan, of course, for your day in court, are the guests on the show. And let's start with what has been going on this week with just the legal wranglings within Donald Trump and this entire raid on his home. He's now been able to look I'm not for... aware there was a raid. <laughs> you didn't know? Oh, you, you weren't aware of, of, of the All raid that occurred? I, I, I am aware there was the um, execution <laughs> well, <laughs> of a legally issued... Uh, search warrant. I think it's a raid. Uh, so they're looking yeah, for a special a master as of now. And, and explain that because what he's looking to do from everything that I understand is he wants an, um, as much of that affidavit that was used to secure the warrant for the raid uh, in order to be, as I'm mocking, of course, uh, <laughs> in order to, to get that out as much in the public eye as possible. And so how is that kind of the, the mechanics of that? How does that all work for what he's looking to do? Well, the the motion that was filed this week uh, is very unusual, first of all. Um, it's I, I've read through it, and, and it kind of reminded me of uh, Dennis Eckersley uh, describing the Pittsburgh Pirates lineup as being just a hodgepodge of nothingness. Um, <laughs> the, 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 you read through it, and you know at times it appears to be... Like has some sense and then well, doesn't? No, like, it appears to be sort of a legally drafted document with citations of authority and statements of facts, and at other times it appears to be cut and paste from... Um, Trump's tweets or, well, I'm sorry, his his um, non-tweets, uh, his yeah, truths. True social um, account, and, yeah. And, or, or just, you know, the ramblings uh, of some of his statements that are first person, you know, coming out of his mouth. And, and no real legal authority or express need for why you would have a special master in a situation like this. Let, let's talk about what a special master is. Yeah, that, right? that's I mean, clear that up for people. Yeah, I mean, it, it, in certain cases, a judge... Um, feels that there are either issues or, or matters involved in the case that require the assistance of somebody with some specialized knowledge or just that there's such a volume of uh, things that the, ju- the it would take up too much of the court's time so they outsource some of the quasi-judicial tasks to a person that will then report back to the court. So to give you a couple of examples, um, you might have a case, there was a, a famous case involving Microsoft and an antitrust case involving Microsoft Explorer. And so the judge appointed a special master there with specific knowledge of the technical issues to, to advise the court on some of those things, right? Um, a case I'm very familiar with in the NFL concussion litigation, you had over 20,000 
potential claimants here looking to get money and the judge appointed a special master to say that you know you're we're going to have you here to kind of oversee this claims process and, and would that be like a neurological expert that's able to look at both You'd ends or like how does that work think so yeah. but it's more like just just a claims administrator it happened also with the um 9-11 claims that they you know they set up a, a federal fund to compensate people who developed cancer that were down near the site of uh, the, the Twin Towers or the Pentagon and developed the cancer. So, you know, the judge says, hey, rather than the court take up all of these various claims, we're going to appoint a special master to screen the claims and report back to us, and the court ultimately oversees it, right? So here the notion is um, Trump saying, we want a special master to look at these documents that were seized and the basis for the seizure and to root out anything that we think is privileged or that shouldn't be disclosed. And it's kind of like, I don't like what's happening here, and so I want somebody else to come in and look at I it. I want a new referee and, here. And, and I'm going to file this in, in a different court with a judge that I appointed to make a decision on whether I'm treated fairly. So he gets to pick the judge because usually it's an attorney or a judge in a situation. He gets to pick who is the special master? Not exactly. And, and I mean, the court where this case was filed in the federal court in Miami, I think it is, or Fort Lauderdale, is overseen by a, a judge that was appointed by Trump in between uh, the time that he lost the election and the time that he left office. Well, one of the problems I think that uh, former President Trump has put himself in for many years is being very poorly legally advised. Now, quick aside, he's got some great lawyers here in Metro Atlanta. Bruce and I know know that legal team, and he will get some good advice. He may not take it because well, he's yeah. not used to listening to lawyers that say you can't do that. He's been listening to Sidney Powell and Giuliani, who, listen, I grew up in New York. Bruce grew up in New York. He was a great mayor, but I think he's got dementia. And so they come up with these crazy theories. One of the other problems is that President Trump, former President Trump, has lost almost, I can't remember one victory he has secured in front of any federal judge, whether he appointed it or Bush appointed him or, or her. I mean, he's on a losing streak. So he wants to get somebody who maybe doesn't have a robe on, but has a suit and a tie. And maybe there's some influence or some way that that appointed referee can sort of take this as a non-legal claim and deal with it as a business claim, because that's where I think he thinks he wants to shift the turf, the battle. What are we supposed to think as Americans when the Department of Justice says, yeah, we will give a little bit of the redacted portion of the affidavit, and now they're saying, no, we can't show any of it. People are going to not trust this. And at the same time, when the affidavit comes out, if it does show that they look for other stuff other than what was supposed to be on that search warrant, does that not bring in the Fourth Amendment? Well, what if there's national security documents in those 300-odd documents, and they have to be identified in the warrant? It says certain communique sent to Putin night before election. That needs to be redacted uh, or politically discussed. <laughs> I would go on the side of what you're arguing for. I think the issue is so important and the, the populace should know the truth one way or another and put it all out there. If we have to take a national security hit, we have to, you know, won't be the first one we've taken. I mean, between the Chinese and the Russians and the North Koreans, they've pretty much stolen everything we've got anyway. Yeah, so I true. would just let it out. That would be my ruling. We see redactions in our cases because there may be a minor involved in either an accident that'll be blacked out in the police report. We see redactions for social security numbers, personal information. I've done some cases where the child is a victim. That information is redacted. But in the search warrant, 
warrant, it's not. That judge who granted the search warrant heard all of it and is knowledgeable. Now, I understand, Bruce, and maybe you can address this. Doesn't Trump and his legal team have a copy of the of the warrant? Can't they release they ha- it? They have the warrant. They don't have the affidavit. The affidavit. Okay, right. that's and, what we're and, talking about. And right. so the whole time the warrant could have been mm-hmm. released. You know, the issue, too, is there's really nothing unusual about this process that took place from any federal prosecution in the sense that a lot of these federal prosecutions rely on statements made by people who are known as confidential informants, CIs. And the C in that word, confidential, is is critical. You know, we want um, to have our prosecutors to have the ability to prosecute crimes where the only evidence comes from somebody who is inside the criminal organization. And that person's identity being maintained as a secret is essential to this because otherwise they will be killed, they will be exposed, they will be they will disappear, they will be reluctant to testify. Don't you think that's a big part of why they want this affidavit released in an unredacted manner so that the world can dox these confidential informants and expose them and, and try to intimidate them into noncompliance or at the very least just out them? No. Right? And, and, no and the reason yeah, why I, I would say this is that there's, not. there's such a huge <laughs> amount of questions going on within the FBI and in the course of the history of the FBI, I don't think there's any reason that we shouldn't be questioning them on a regular basis. I'm right there with Ray. In the interest, it might take a national security hit. I don't mind if you redact some names of some people so you're not doxing them or they're they're confidential, but let everybody know what you were doing because that's the problem because over the last week, we have had, well, we went fishing for January 6th stuff. Well, no, it's, it's, it's nuclear-related things. Well, no, it's espionage act. You have the left wing who is using their media to keep changing the narrative to try and see, okay, what's going to stick? And so I think in in the interest of just saying, here's what we were doing, I think the American public can handle it a lot better than us just throwing around different ideas of what they were looking for. Wait, is Fox News now the left-wing media? (laughs) Because uh, things are changing so quickly around here, it's hard for me to keep up. I think CNN has become the right-wing media from what I'm hearing. Maybe. Let me ask you this. So if you're involved in an accident or something like that and they want to come look at your car, let's say you hit someone by accident and they they? give you whoever, the Department of Justice, let's just say it's them or whoever oh, whatever, whatever the case is <laughs> and let's say they, they arrive in a black helicopter and they arrive in a, no. let's say the FBI or GBI is coming to investigate because you hit and ran or whatever it is and yeah. they want to see your car they have an affidavit for the car then they go in your house and they find other things that relate to other crimes is that no, legal no, we talked about do? this last week it's a hit and run so they're looking for your 72 Buick Skylark right it's got to say where they believe in the warrant application a blue 72 Buick Skylark which by the way had a really big engine. I think that was like a yeah. 454 <laughs> I mean, like classic a tank. Right. Yeah. But they can look for it in the garage behind the house. Maybe you've cut it up in a hundred pieces like the Johnny Cash song and it may be in the basement, but it's not in your wife's jewelry box. Okay. So they can't do that. That's beyond. And, and you have to understand there are real judges who went to law school, who've taken an oath, who vet these warrants. Now, sometimes they don't do a good job. We had a terrible case here years ago in uh, Metro Atlanta where the old Red Dogs drug team got a search warrant for a house. I think her name was Maddie, an older African-American woman. They yeah, got the, the house the wrong. On English Avenue, I think. Yep, and she had a little revolver to protect herself, and she had her gun in her hand because somebody was kicking in her door, mm-hmm. and they shot her dead. Okay, Now, some judge... Granted that search warrant, and that was a no-knock, which is a higher level of yeah. scrutiny. But right. it sounds so, like you're asking, like, if they go looking for the evidence of the Pontiac and they find a dead body, can I be accused of the crime involving the 
hiding of the dead body on my property? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Well, no, but let's relate it to they're looking for something. Like, let's say they're saying, hey, we're looking for names and reference to January 6th. They go in, and now they're trying to find something else. Or they're looking for classified information. Although it's already been declassified, now they go, oh, well, here's some paperwork that we were really looking for, even though we haven't mentioned it. Is that still legal? The problem is that the government had been negotiating with some of Trump's advisors for months. and the archives people. Yeah. So they had a list. And apparently Trump they himself, because list. yesterday yeah. we, we learned in this motion that he himself reviewed uh, all the documents in his possession and said, this is everything that I have when they voluntarily So they had the list to, for the, the affidavit. I mean, I, I think the affidavit is going to be very detailed, very encompassing, but not too broad. I mean, I don't think they're going to find, you know, illegal drugs or anything else. It sounds like they're looking for materials that were in the White House, documents that were in the White House that arguably should have stayed in the White House or a secured third location like the National Archives. But let's let it out. I got no so problem with yeah, like, Let it all out. Yeah, let why would out. the DOJ then try to redact the entire affidavit instead of saying, hey, we're going to take out the names and the witnesses that we need, but we're going to leave the information we were looking for in there. Why are they trying to redact the entire affidavit at that point? These affidavits, to my understanding, don't come out in any criminal prosecution. You know, you're, you're defending a, a guy accused of organized crime in RICO. But, but this is uh, also... You're not, you're not getting that affidavit but is, either. But this is a very unique situation in but which the judge had, is the one who asked for it. Well, no, guys, we, we, and this is where we're downplaying this. It's a former president, okay? Well, yeah. That's it, it, it almost requires to do something that typically doesn't happen. Uh, Ray, we made news here today because I think Lois just uh, conceded the election. <laughs> I've never had a problem with any of this. I, I'm flat out going yeah. to call balls and strikes well, the way it is. former president anyway. You right, I was going to say, at any point he I say also former be president. 47. Right, but that's what I'm saying, that because it's such an unusual circumstance, I think you have to do unusual things in the interest of transparency. Well, well I think that this is a Shakespearean tragedy, and uh, there's a couple of quotes. I'm not a Shakespeare expert, but thou doth protest too much, and be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. And so I think the Trump lawyers uh, who have doubled down on this affidavit may have some, as, as Ricky used to say to Lucy, you got some splaining yeah. to do. I, I thought Ray was going to use a different Shakespeare <laughs> quote and talk about let's kill all the lawyers. Well, if, if I may use Shakespeare and point out that in every Shakespearean play, it's the drunk, it's the clown, it's the idiot. They always speak with the most knowledge and they always speak the most truth in every single one of these. And so I shouldn't think we should downplay but hearing the king, from the but clown, the, but the, the drunk, king usually, the, the king usually takes it in the back. Uh, always <laughs> the king will take it yeah. in. Back. Let's finish off this segment with this because I'm fascinated with what's going on because at one point we thought Elon Musk was going to purchase Twitter. There's been this ongoing discussion of, hey, Twitter, explain to me how many users are real users and, and let's establish a real value here. Well, you now have a subpoena on Jack Dorsey, the former head of Twitter who's now stepped away, and he's now trying, and whether it's trying to get out of this purchase or trying to whittle down the value back to what it is, what is Elon Musk really doing here in terms of the legal system? Well, I think he's trying to get Twitter for a much lower price. What is it, $53 or $54 a share? I hadn't checked this morning. I think it's in the low 40s, maybe even in the high 30s. I think he's trying to beat that price down significantly. I think he still wants to own Twitter. He's also made some moves. He has sold billions of dollars of his Tesla stock to build up a cash reserve so that one of two things. Either they got a price that they can agree on, you know, say $40 a share, he can just stroke the check, 
or that judge in Delaware says, I find this contract to be binding. Uh, Mr. Musk, would you seize the cash and deposit the $53 <laughs> per share, you know, on your way out the door? And good luck owning, owning Twitter. So uh, I think Dorsey should testify. I mean, he's a witness in the case. He may be a good witness for both sides again. Uh, let, him, let him go under oath and tell the truth. Yeah, and Twitter's position on this is that, you know, Musk has uh, kind of ginned up this fake controversy to try to get out of the deal that he made um, and try to, like Ray's saying, whittle down the price of what he's what he ends up paying um, where there's still every intention of going through with the deal. Uh, in the meantime, uh, after taking a short uh, hit, uh, which hopefully our listeners uh, took advantage of and bought Twitter, uh, I'm sorry, Tesla stock, um, you know, Tesla's bounced right back up yeah, there. Sure so, so, yeah, when yeah. He, when Elon sold uh, $7 billion worth of shares, he didn't have to sell quite as many shares as he would have maybe a month prior. Um, so, you know, it will be interesting. And sure, yeah, Dorsey has got a lot to speak on this. But just, just the idea that, you know, it's acceptable to all of us that, yeah, there's a percentage of just fake Twitter users that are that are bots, right, for yeah. uh, lack of a better term. And, and yet, okay, we're okay with that as long as it's just 5%. And as long as it's not 15% well, or 20%. Well, I think that's the idea. It's like, what exactly is the percent <laughs> we're all okay with? Yeah. Because right, right. we all know. I mean, we, we you guys deal with it too. You'll see something and just be like, oh, that's a bot. That can't be a real person. That's what, it, and, but you just know, know, all right, that exists. And, and yet I know my mom doesn't know that. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, well, it's partly because she's been dead for four years. But, <laughs> but you know, like when she was alive, she wouldn't have known that if she ever did look at the Twitter. Uh, she, wouldn't, she, would, she, would, she, would, she wouldn't know what it is and, and, and tell the difference. And I can tell that by the things she clicked on and the, the stuff that, you know, ends up coming to her house off of whatever she was looking at. It's like, how do you not see this as, as the scam that it is? Does Twitter have a case now? when they're talking about how Elon Musk used his position and used his, uh, I guess it would be celebrity, to drive that price down, to continue to devalue that company by throwing out these accusations that it's 20% bot. Absolutely. I mean, there, there, there's the opportunity there to say that, look, Elon Musk came in and whether it was intentionally or recklessly uh, through his bad faith actions has harmed our company. And is now responsible because when we walked down that road towards being purchased by Musk, there was a certain assumption of good faith by both parties here, and his failure to perform has caused us harm. There's probably provisions in the agreement that was reached initially that talk about that, of what the sanctions are if the purchaser tries to back out, and then potentially if the purchaser is trying to drive down the price by misinformation. But Musk is not alone in his one of the reasons he wanted to buy Twitter is his observation is that this board of directors stinks. They don't even use Twitter. This, you know, we're getting out beat and out moneyed, capitalized by every other platform. It's dull. It's, you know, it's not being maximized. And he was not the only investor, hedge fund manager, Jim Cramer says, this company is just flat. So he wants to squeeze the value out of it. So he has a good point, and that's what he wants to do. He wants to be on the board or bring in a new CEO and make something happen. Yeah, the 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 goal of anyone who looks to make this sort of investment is let me acquire something at the least amount possible, least price possible, and then let me put the right kind of management to maximize and have it grow. And I think he sees it as as this is a, this company has never made money. They have been poorly managed. They don't handle advertising well. If I step in. 
yeah, I can do this, but I want to step in about 40 bucks a share. This sounds like uh, Jerry Jones purchasing the Cowboys. Same concept, ago, right? Same concept. <laughs> this is not being monetized well. The NFL is not monetizing well. They could be making, they could squeeze that orange a hundred different ways and get a whole lot more out of it, but they're not doing it. And so, uh, it's, yeah. it's a fascinating argument. It's and, a fascinating and apparently, discussion. just so you know that this is business and it's not yeah. it's not personal. Um, apparently, Musk and Dorsey are practically best friends. They're they're very close friends, and uh, you know it's like yeah, this this is just business. Well, Let's, Jack Dorsey came to his defense and said, yeah, there is a lot more bots than they're letting you know. So that's a good witness to have. Let's finish up with this, just because I I know with Bruce having as much expertise in the NFL and the legal process of the NFL, uh, and and also with Ray dealing with the criminal aspect of what gone on here, uh, Deshaun Watson ends up getting it negotiated. It came out this week. It's going to be an 11-game suspension. And if you're not familiar with this case, he had about 25 different women that were complaining about uh, sexual acts while he was getting a massage. And while it never went to a criminal matter, uh, it went to a civil matter. And so the NFL was very embarrassed by this, sent it over to, an, to arbitration. He ended up with a six-game suspension, no fine. The NFL then looked to exercise their option to get that looked at. And before it ever got to that person, they negotiated an 11-game suspension and a $5 million salary that Watson agreed to. A $5 million hit as far as a fine. Yeah, and so what had happened prior to that was that this case was heard by a retired judge, and that judge heard from both sides and had decided that we, you know, the judge said, I think six games is appropriate discipline. And the NFL had the right under the collective bargaining agreement to appeal that. Um, it was really a tricky thing because the NFLPA had agreed to all this, the, the, the process, not the actual um, recommendation for punishment, but the process. And the process was really important to the NFLPA. So while they were charged with kind of backing Watson throughout this, they also really didn't want to just scuttle this whole process because they like the idea of having an independent, truly independent third party get involved in these decisions and take some of that power away from Goodell. You know, it was it was some of the worst negotiating you can see you've seen, which is not surprising if you follow the history of player negotiations with Demory Smith on behalf of the players. Um, but they just gave you know ultimate unfettered discretion to Roger Goodell to be the uh, judge, judge and jury, jury right? yeah. and, and literally the hangman in, the, in these cases, figuratively, the hangman yeah. in these cases. No no player in the well, NFL. When, when he would decide it, it that, was over. It. And, and still he had the right to step in here and do that. And so it was certainly, I, I think, look, Goodell has a tendency to say stupid things and put his foot in his mouth despite being highly paid and, and constantly you know, overseeing this billion-dollar industry. Um, he always seems to screw things up, but he's not an idiot. And, and, you know, after this announcement came out of the six, uh, six-week penalty, there was such an uproar against it uh, and the concern that, okay, he's going to impose a much harsher penalty, believed to be a full-year suspension, that it made sense for them to negotiate something less than that. Um, you know, the $5 million in the context of Watson's $200 million— All guaranteed. Yeah. All guaranteed money is, is insignificant, and it's going to, be, I, th I think, be donated to some charities. So it's good PR for the league to do that. They don't have to worry about women's groups protesting at every single game now. And he can get it over with as well, Watson. He and, knows and exactly he what it is. he can put it behind him. And, and so, you know, he will have essentially missed almost two full seasons, so he doesn't have the wear and tear on his body. Yeah, he's 26 years old. Yeah, he's got plenty maybe, of Cleveland left. gets their quarterback by the end of the season just in time for not making the playoffs. But it made sense for everybody to put this behind them and just not have to continue to expose this really flawed model of discipline in the NFL. Yeah, and quickly, it sounds like there's really going to be no criminal prosecutions coming out of this. 
the independent judge, the former judge, she was bound, if I understand correctly, really by precedent. She kind of acknowledged that six weeks was low, but it was consistent in the pattern of really low prior suspensions. That is what Zeke Elliott had gotten, so that was right, kind of the basis right. for it. Yeah. And, and what it fails to show is the shifting, and I think a good thing, concern by the populace, and the, the league and its fans, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and the league itself about domestic violence, you know, inappropriate immoral behavior, and again, guarding the shield, as they like to say, and it's just a multi-billion-dollar shield that needs to be guarded. That's Ray Judice. That's also Bruce Hagen. That is Scott Rhino. I'm Carlos Medina. When we get back, as we wrap up your day in court, a new explanation for a heinous act. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice on Extra 106.3. Welcome back. It's Your Day in Court. Carlos Medina and Scott Rhino subbing in for Tug Coward. He'll be back next weekend. We, of course, have Ray Giudice and Bruce Hagan in studio. And, guys, I want to finish up talking about this one particular court case in Florida. This all revolves around Nicholas Cruz, the high school shooter who ended up killing 14 people during his high school shooting. And there was something weird that happened this week. He currently has his legal defense going on in Florida and his sister ended up testifying on his behalf that his mother had abused cocaine and alcohol when he was in the womb. And that that has been part of what's developed his mental issues and his inability for his brain to function properly. That's what they're going with. And so I wanted to ask you guys about your experience with seeing that type of defense in this type of case. Well, his lawyer is doing the right thing. I mean, we are required to present what's called mitigation evidence on behalf of our client. You see it more in death penalty cases, especially if the death penalty case is reasonably funded where the lawyers representing the death row uh, inmate are have resources, investigators, so they're going to go back and look at his school grades. Maybe there was some IQ testing. Was there an MRI or a CT scan out there that may show frontal lobe damage, things that, you know, Bruce deals with in serious personal injury cases that alter behavior? You know, if you have an injury to your frontal lobe, it affects behavior modification, correct, Bruce? I mean, that, that's yeah. what that's what lets people do things you would never think they were going to do. Well, right. And, and, you know, when you hear of guys who are former athletes, fighters, football players that get accused of some sort of violent act, and now they want to blame it on the effects of repeat blows to the head, the brain damage, maybe they have CTE. It's kind of based on that, the idea that I've suffered a brain injury and, and I've lost impulse control. As One of the only reasons you don't see more of this in many cr- serious criminal cases is just a lack of resources. I mean, the public defender's office, God bless them, they, they do you know the Lord's work when it comes to the legal. I'll, quick story, back in the late 80s, the Fulton County court system got so backed up in criminal cases that they recruited a thousand lawyers from the big civil law firms to come in, scrub, freshly scrub young I was lawyers. One of, were you one <laughs> I of them? volunteered for that. Did you? Yeah, well, around the, they were called a thousand, thousand lawyers, lawyers for, for justice. justice. <laughs> around the courthouse, we called them a thousand lawyers for slaughter. A thousand okay? lambs for slaughter. Yeah. Yeah. Had, no doubt. They I had no idea two. what they were doing. <laughs> and, but, and so, but at least there was intellectual resources and capacity. But most of the time, as a public defender or, or when you have no resources, you'd love to be able to present some of this background information. Whether it works or not is not relevant you know, for this conversation, but it's the lawyer's obligation to look into this and to present it. And quite frankly, I know that the court is going to hear it out. And yeah, it's, may not, it's not going to absolve the homicides. No, but in this particular instance, if you're if that's the approach you're going to take or one of the defenses you're mm-hmm. going to take, then um, sort of like we talked about before, there's going to be 
other things in the in your lifetime. It doesn't just snap at some point because your your mother drank and snorted coke when she was pregnant, and now at age I don't know how old Nicholas Cruz was. Yeah, I think he was at seventeen. At age seventeen, all of a sudden a switch goes off, and that's it. There there will be signs from the day you're born that you are a victim of fetal alcohol syndrome, and so they will look back at the records, records from his pediatrician right. and and his school records. Like you know what what do we see? They'll they'll certainly examine his brain and and everything about him now to see does he have the features of uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, an undeveloped brain, um, an undersized head. Did he have performance and behavioral issues in school? And it's not going to be like just one thing. It's going to be does all of this amount to a diagnosis? And even then, even if he says, all right, you do have the symptoms of this, does that excuse the behavior? Totally separate question, but it might be the sort of mitigating You're essentially factor. saying, I did this, but this is why. why? Yeah, okay? it, it could, that could be right. a mitigating but factor that saves somebody from getting the death, death penalty. Right. 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 But, and, I, and I want to follow up on that just as far as the CTE, because we talk about that being accumulation. You could have a guy who's like Warwick Dunn, wonderful, who raises money for everybody, does it, but at some point, maybe that CTE starts to accumulate and he starts doing things that are out of character. How do you... I guess we talk about the the switch flips. You yeah, know, there's got to be guys that just happen. There's a starting point somewhere, I, I, right? I, th- I, mean, I think we're t- we're, d- we're using different examples, right? Because, yeah, because, because this is going de- more CTE. Yeah, yeah, and and so the 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 CTE example, you know, it, it, to me, it's very similar to like PTSD in soldiers. Um, you could have a hundred guys uh, in a military unit that are exposed to the same horrors, the same um, awful things that they that they see, and they come back. Uh, and they reintegrate into society, and 95 of them are able to do it successfully, and five aren't. And it's and it's just because their brains respond differently to the same external factors. And and when it comes to CTE, this is one of the reasons why in the NFL case, the NFL was so willing to settle so quickly, is that they knew that if this went on long enough, it would ultimately come out that every single player has it. It's just that they don't all have the symptoms. And, they, and so a guy like Warwick Dunn may be high-functioning for his entire life and never have a problem. But for some people, there there is this decline that just takes place, and they don't know when it's going to happen. And and then how do you distinguish that from just the decline you see in otherwise healthy adults who didn't play contact sports and suffer head injuries, but just develop Alzheimer's, dementia, whatever it might be. You know, Ray and I are at an age right now where, like, you know, we can't remember the names of of the restaurant we went to a year ago and um, the person we were talking to yesterday. Bruce, I'll be be quite honest with you. I mean, I when I was a young lawyer 38 years ago, I saw lawyers who I now realize were in my age bracket. I turned 64 this past July, who I would see at the podium in court, and I could see. They were they had lost a half a step mm. or were in the process and now I'm a, I'm that age yeah. <laughs> and you know and, and I a part of the reason I mean I like doing this and I listen to the show but am I stuttering am I stammering can I remember Groucho Marx jokes yes I can but a lot of the science on it too is when you can keep your brain active you keep yeah, your brain yeah, you healthy gotta read, and so you, you gotta, gotta constantly right, right. keep working Do at the it. jigsaw sure. and, puzzles and, you know, but this is a factor too when you're thinking about uh, your doctors right I mean you, you know you obviously want a doctor want that's experienced. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, yes. When you were forty, you didn't. No, that's uh, right. Yeah. But but you know, you want somebody who's experienced and has done this procedure ten thousand times, so it's second nature to them. But you recognize also that they went to medical school in nineteen forty-seven. <laughs> you know, things change. <laughs> things and, have and, changed. You know, that that person may not be firing on all cylinders today. Right. You know, hey, and, quickly, uh, Warwick Dunn. If if any listeners don't know, is an absolute gem of a human being. He's yes. a treasure to society. A treasure really to this is. community. 
how many homes. He's well over 100 homes that he's funded or had built for folks that needed shelter, good people, get them back on their feet. I think his mom was in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Just a, just a wonderful story. And, and here's a guy who came to Atlanta kind of late in his career. Uh, and and uh, just he's an Atlanta guy, and he's just a fabulous guy. Yeah, I was lucky to cover him in '98, and he was just one of the most amazing people that you'd talk to. And yeah, he he not only funds it, but he also builds the house. It's he's one of the things there every single I've been time. in Atlanta since 1978. It's, it's one of the things that we have in this community. Our guys like Arthur Blank and Mr. Marcus and the major corporations. Yeah. I mean, it's a giving community. It really is. Yeah. And all things at 680 to fan and, and Dickey Broadcasting yeah, does. Yeah, Bernie Marcus. Yep, for charities. A and great and Republican. Yep. So that's that's why I bring up Work Done as my example, because I'm just like... It would be such a drop-off. It would be such an amazing drop-off. It would be such an incredible person. But I want to make sure people who don't know about he, Mr. Dunn a control. Right? He is an absolute right. treasure to this community. Guys, if you need to get a hold of either one of you, tell the people how to do so. It's easy to find me, Bruce, at Hagen-Law is my email, H-A-G-E-N-Law.com. ton of resources there. You know, we're all back to school right now. If you've got a newly minted teenage driver that is now driving themselves to school, you might want to look at our website. We have a great teenage parent driver contract so that it's not for teenage parents. It's for the parents <laughs> of teenagers and the teenagers to sign. And it just sets out some responsibilities and, and on, on both sides. So um, it's, it's a really real serious thing but yes 404-202-2233 is my cell phone number you can call me anytime i've been doing personal injury cases in this town for more than 30 years it's all that i do happy to answer any of your questions and just like ray if it's something i can't help you with i know somebody who can absolutely judice 404-964-4185 i'm going one name now. That's it. I'm like, that's it. I'm like, that's God, that's God. It. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Elvis. That's it. I love it. Judy Crescent. Crescent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us. We will talk to you next week right here Costanza. on Extra 1063 FM. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacy's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, 
Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.